My name is Gary Webb. I am an investigative journalist. I've been an investigative journalist for about 25 years for daily newspapers. And in 1996, I wrote a series of stories entitled Dark Alliance, uh, which was about CIA involvement in drug trafficking. What my story showed was that the cocaine that was being sold in those neighborhoods uh, was coming from mainly one source, and this one source was being used to finance a guerrilla war in, in Central America. The general idea of the CIA dealing drugs um, was something that the American mainstream press had never written about before, and that's why it prompted outrage among blacks, among drug reform activists, among uh, politicians, by the CIA, by every federal agency involved in the drug war, because it showed they weren't doing their jobs, that it, that it was a fraud. Presented by the good people at the Podbelly Network. My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the Central University. A study on why Like we always do about this time. Boom. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode 332 of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. I'm your host in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P. And sitting right across from me is not the brown recluse, Mr. Art Trail. However, we have a very special guest for you today. Very special guest. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello. My name is uh, Vincent Cruz. Back here for the fifth Probably not, need, you I'm, need to get you in a jacket, like like Saturday Night Live. I uh, yeah, I need to put like little stars. <laughs> <laughs> for each time I'm on here, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose. I'm going to start to lose track. Oh, okay. Yeah, me too. I know you've been here a few times, but yeah. Returning guest. Yes. Part of the family. Long, long history of being a part of the family. Vincent Cruz. Do you have a nickname? The Mexican? I, 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 I feel- I've, I've got many. Yeah. The, the Mex is one, but I think that was kind of low-hanging fruit because I was like the only Mexican in my group of friends. <laughs> we, we had a few half-breeds, no full Mexicans. Yeah, yeah. It was weird in Bakersfield, yeah. you know. Yeah, white Tino pride. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, thank you, Vincent, for filling in for the Brown Recluse. Uh, but before we jump into the topic today, let's give a shout-out to our sponsors. Guys, first and foremost, well, let's give a shout-out to Caveman Coffee. Guys, I need everyone to head on over to cavemancoffee.com. 
Uh, check out the wide variety of whole beans, ground coffee, as Art would say. He very much enjoys the hibiscus tea. They got the cacao. They got the hibiscus tea. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you listen. Oh, I know. And, you know, wintertime's coming up. You want a nice warm beverage in the morning. Nothing beats a nice hot coffee. That's right. And then they also have cacao butter. You can put that in there and make it taste a little bit more tastier or whatnot. They also have merch. They got sweatpants. They got hats. They got t-shirts. They got a bunch of cool-ass shit that was designed by Keith Jardine, former MMA fighter. Uh, but guys, um, before you hit checkout, enter promo code AMERICA and Caveman Coffee will give you 15% off your entire purchase. Uh, but also too, guys, I need everyone to head on over to SukerApparel.com where the great and powerful Nicole Smith-Bosch has put together an illustrious array of merchandise for your consumption pleasure. So check out all the merchandise, merchandise that she has designed with their own to blood diamond digging hands uh but before you hit checkout guys i need everyone to enter promo code art and jacob and nicole will give you 10 percent off your entire purchase but support her support the podcast yes do all the things guys all the things yeah take a picture tag us tag her tag them they greatly appreciate it. we greatly appreciate it but we're not here to talk about spreading love to nicole smith bosch and Keith Jardine. Maybe those two should get together sometime and collaborate with a caveman coffee slash super apparel. Um, oh, that'd be nice. I'd like to yeah, see that. Maybe like make an Art and Jacob New America t-shirt or something like that with a big old uh, ground of coffee. A special blend, if you will. Speaking of white tinos, make it like a, a mayonnaise and <laughs> pinto bean <laughs> concoction. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying that to say. That sounds awful. That does sound awful. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're not here to talk about mayonnaise and pinto bean coffee. Vincent, I was about to call you Art. What are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about Gary Webb, the late great Gary Webb, and his uh, intrepid investigation into the CIA, the Contras, and the drug money that funneled into mm-hmm. their coffers from their business in America. Nice. When you pitch this topic... I got to admit, like, I thought it was going to be like one of those, like, you know, wild conspiracies because you always hear about things about like, oh, the U.S. government, they flooded the streets of, uh, you know, Compton, you know, with all the crack cocaine and whatnot. Right. Like, I've heard that for decades. Yeah, that that is the the prevailing kind of, you know, conspiracy Mm -hmm. theory about this. And me being always the skeptic or whatnot. Right. Was just like, oh, I'm sure there's a logical explanation for this, you know. And I was, you know, started to do the research, and I'm like, okay, where's gonna be the hole in the story here? And I got to admit, like, I'm this. This is not a conspiracy theory. It's more or less, it's a conspiracy fact. Well, uh, I think Gary Webb himself put it the best when he said that there was no like malign intent to make this happen. It was just the unfortunate outcome of a series of interconnected events. So it's more akin to manslaughter than murder. Correct, yeah. It's not so much that the CIA was trying to target, uh, you know, black communities. It's just black communities that felt the the fallout of this. Yeah. And, and the government just didn't care. Yeah, yeah. They were... They were uh... They were the casualties of their agenda, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And and because the ends justified the means, Mm -hmm. they thought it was just a necessary sacrifice. Yeah. And why were we in this position to begin with? 
Well, we're going to have to hop in the DeLorean and go back in time. Going back, on 88? W- yeah, we're going to go back to the 80s. We're going back to the Iran-Contra affair. What is the Iran-Contra? A topic we have not covered yet, but we will with no, you in so, the future. So let me try and go over this briefly. Um, American Dad did this better, and they did it to a song. <laughs> um, Insert the clip right here. <laughs> so um, the Contras after, um, let's see here, Anastas. Anastasio Somoza, who was the dictator of Nicaragua, was deposed, uh, run out by the Sandinista government. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Contras were sort of the uh, the guerrilla fighters, and the CIA was backing them because mm-hmm. uh, they were our allies. Even though, you know, he was a brutal, ruthless dictator, he was a dictator who worked with us. And mm-hmm. this would kind of be a, uh, a sort of ongoing sort of a motif with the U.S. government, I guess, yeah. was propping up dictators in countries because, well, as long as they worked with us, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And the moment they didn't, well, then we'd throw them to the wolves. Yeah, and it's also important to note, too, that this is very much during the time of the Cold War, you know, towards the end of the Cold War. But, like, we were in that state where it's just like we got to stamp out communism by any means necessary. That's yeah. why we got involved in fucking Vietnam you know, it's why we were getting, we we're meddling our hands in here because, you know, the Nicaraguan government, you know, got overthrown by a more friendly communist, you know, uh, government. Well, I mean, it was a popular uprising. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a civil war. It's this popular uprising. They didn't like this dictator, so they overthrew him. But it really became like this. Well, that, that's just communism. Yeah. And, you know, in the 80s, we hated the communists. Um, commie bastards. That, that's why, you know... Uh, that's why Rocky had to fight Ivan Drago. We, we had to prove we were better than Russians in every way. <laughs> Even in boxing, Adrian. Um, but yeah, like I, Ronald Reagan, like I, I was watching videos of him talking about this. And uh, he was talking about how if we let, if we don't support the Contras in Nicaragua, the Soviets will get their foothold in South America and they will steal your babies. They will steal your jobs. And like all that, you know, that shit. Yeah, so for the last couple of decades, we've been fighting the communists everywhere. That was our main agenda, Mm -hmm. you know, globally, was trying to stop the spread of communism. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we're spreading our fingers into every fucking pie that we can get them into. Correct. Um, So anyways, uh, Congress didn't want to fund the Contras. Mm -hmm. So... And I think uh, it's real quick, to put a pin on that real quick, mm -hmm. that the Contras were very much... (laughs) <laughs> like the 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 storm the capital maga uh, oh people. yeah no they were they were very much the right wing sort of death squads yeah of... they were like the proud boys on all the fucking steroids Let, let's put it that way and uh yeah <laughs> a little bit more a little yeah bit of that. A little sugar bugger yeah booger sugar I a little booger sugar yeah yeah <laughs> but anyways go on I'm sorry okay so Oliver North concocted this scheme to sell some, uh, we have a lot of missiles in America, so they're going to sell some missiles to the Iranians in exchange for some hostages, and they're going to take the profits from this arms sale and funnel that to the Contras, but oops, he got caught. Yeah. And there was a big scandal, um, but the thing that kind of got lost in that scandal was where else were the Contras making their money? And mm. that's where we pick up here with Gary Webb. Well, what you were talking about, too, is that you know Congress, which was controlled by the Democrats, I believe, they told Reagan, they said, hey, we're not going to like financially support them. We we don't like their tactics. They were finding like they were doing a lot of shady shit. Like I said, they were like the storm of the Capitol no, proud they, boys. They, they 
called them a death squad because they really were just like going into village and just fucking indiscriminately just killing people. Raping, you know, stealing, all sorts of evil shit. And Congress was like, yo, we ain't fucking with that, like at all. So we are putting an end to any, you know, on paper, official U.S.-backed contribution to these Contras or whatever. Yeah, we fucking hate communism, but we don't hate it that much where we're, we're, we're willing to, you know, fund people that are just as bad, if not worse, kind of thing. Yeah. So it was just like Reagan and his buddies were just like, well, we're just secretly going to do all this shady shit to help fund them. Yeah, so while while the official government stance of the Carter administration was not to help the Contras, the CIA was like, well, we still got to fight communism. Yeah. So, <laughs> we, so under their own initiative, they concocted this scheme with Oliver North, and they were, they were doing this kind of while um, uh, there was going to be this election. They knew that, well, okay, maybe we're going to start uh, talking to the Iranians and work out this hostage deal, but wait till after I get elected. Trust me, we'll get a better deal that way. Mm-hmm. So they kind of let the hostages there just sort of uh, sit in limbo and rot for a while. Which is fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, that we allowed that to happen. Yeah, but anyway. It's all politics, baby. Yeah, yeah, for power. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, what happened after that, Jim? Um, well... Uh, Oliver North didn't really get too much in trouble because, as, as you can see, he became later like the president of the NRA and he's a, he's a <laughs> contributor on Fox News. I think he even had like a really bad show like on fucking the UPN or whatever, like some like conspiracy theory show. <laughs> Something. So so he, he got maybe, maybe a light slap on the wrist because he's the mm-hmm. one who really kind of fell on his sword because Reagan wasn't going to take the hit on this. Uh, yeah. George Bush wasn't going to take the hit on this. Um, uh, a reappearing figure is going to be... Uh, Former Attorney General Bill Barr, who was mm-hmm. kind of the cleaner and fixer on this whole thing, kind of cleaned up this whole mess and ran cover for everybody. But someone had to fall on the sword, and that was Oliver North. Correct. But um, this is another thing. It's one of those kind of widely known secrets. It's just that, oh, let's just shred all these documents. Yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot of sufficient evidence that he was, you know, that there was uh, any sort of knowing... Uh, from the higher ups that this was going on, uh, to the point that like um, my dad in his office they called their shredder machine the Ollie North machine. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so I mean, it was it was a widely known secret. Yeah, an open secret. It was an open secret. Yeah, and so he he got off slap on the wrist. He's fine now, mm-hmm. um, and nothing not a whole lot really came of this. But the the thing that really got lost in all this was how the Nicaraguans were also funding. I mean, the Contras were also funding their civil war to try and overthrow the Sandinistas. Mm-hmm. And one of those ways was selling cocaine. Mm-hmm. Which was huge at this time, right? So we're talking about the late 70s, early 80s. Put that picture of, you know, Studio 54, disco, uh, Michael Jackson singing Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, fucking sp- speed metal, you know, being like a big thing because everyone's... <laughs> You know, on coke and shit, like Scarface is popping off or whatever. So coke is the it's drug. King. It's yeah, that's the that's the drug du jour. But Anastasio Somoza, he had some friends in his government who were a lot of these people were run out once the Sandinistas took over. So a lot of these people came to America, like Oscar Danilo Blandon mm-hmm. and Norwin Meneses. There you go. So these are like two big guys who had a lot of history. Um. 
Blandon, he got like an MBA in business. Correct. He was like the business guy. Yeah, who got his MBA, <laughs> which, which was funded by the federal government. Yeah. And I think he studied in- Our Col- federal government. He studied in Columbia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he knew all about business, knew all about cocaine. Nora Manessas was big time drug dealer, huge drug dealer on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, the East Coast is a little different, but but this is mostly about how it got into uh, South Central Los Angeles. Correct. And how this evolved into crack from cocaine. Because cocaine was big in the 70s, but crack really became popular in the 80s. Correct. And um, that the big thing about that is, is, so yeah, you had the fall of, you know, the original Nicaraguan government and all, like you said, all those people, you know, kind of scattered like cockroaches. Uh, yeah, came, all, all, all the top brass, all the upper class people, like upper middle class, they all fled because... Mm-hmm. I'm not sticking around for this shit. Yeah, and there's and I say this seriously, but it's funny that I'm using this as a sort. There's a really good episode of the Montel Williams <laughs> show from like the '90s where like Gary Webb makes an appearance as well as other people that document this, and they document this like wholeheartedly where they show that you know Blandon and Manessis they come to the United States and they're asked you know to do fundraisers. Um, you know, here in the United States, like, like legit, like, like bake sales and fucking, you know, tortilla cook-offs and shit. Well, that like, was it. Just, we don't care how you do it. Yeah. You need to raise money for the Contras. Correct. And they were, they came to the U.S. because, you know, we had the money and they were kind of falling flat on their face. And what they thought was going to work is that, which did work, is that, hey, we can get cocaine for super cheap. Now, back in the day, like cocaine, it was a rich man's drug. Right. Like, don't get it twisted. Right. Like you can buy like, you know, weed down the street right now, you know, for 10 bucks, you can get high for, you know, a couple nights. Cocaine like that. That was like, you you know, a hundred dollars maybe gets you like, you know, 30 minutes of fun kind of thing. And that's why I was seeing like as like this luxury drug, you know, like, you know, again, that's why I said that fast forward or flashback to, you know, pictures of, you know, Studio 54, all these celebrities, you know, getting, you know, coked out and whatnot. Right. Uh, but people with less money they wanted to get high on cocaine too and, like, and they couldn't throw down a hundred bucks for a gram no and so what happened was is people would um free base uh, smaller amounts of cocaine and i mean this is how you get richard Pryor, <laughs> who sets himself on fire because i guess if you can you free base cocaine which means you get it down to a, a molecular level where it's like very pure um you can get high for cheaper and it's a more intense high and so, you know, we're not chemists, most people, you know, so they didn't know how to do that. Um, and so what people would do is like, you know, they would make basically crack cocaine, which actually came comes from originates in per- Peru, where you can get for a cheaper amount, a more intense high from smoking cocaine. And this is where you get, you know, crack from. And the biggest proprietor of crack cocaine uh, was a man named... Freeway Ricky Ross, who it's just Ricky Ross at the time. The yeah. freeway came from just the <laughs> fact that he was trafficking all of this fucking cocaine. Uh, once he hooked up with Blandone, who he just knew as Danilo. Correct, correct. And the way he got into the coke or uh, the crack business is that um, you know all these people were freebasing their cocaine and whatnot. But that took time. Like that, it was literally like cooking like a Thanksgiving turkey. You know, and a lot of people who were doing crack at this time were people that actually had jobs. You know, they were working double shifts. Oh, come on now. It was, you were coming out of the Carter administration. We were going into, you know, 
the Reagan administration, you know, there was, you know, money was scarce, you know, people working two jobs and whatnot. And they were saying like, hey, I don't have time to, you know, cook this crack, cook this cocaine so I can smoke it. I'm just trying to get high before work so I can, you know, bust through my two jobs and whatnot, right? Is there any way you can cook it and I'll buy it, right? So I'll bring you some rock that's ready. I'll call it Ready Rock. Correct. It sounds like a fucking Betty Crocker <laughs> dish or whatever, some like TV uh, uh, TV dinner kind but of that, thing. But that's what the customers wanted. So that's he was catering to the, the clientele, to the base. Yeah, and so instead of getting like, customers who would buy a hundred dollars for like a you know tiny sack of uh cocaine he can sell thousands it ended up being millions of dollars a day from this crack rock which he was already getting at a bargain from the nicaraguans from blandon and manessis and you know pretty much spread cocaine across a larger map because you can now sell it to the poor communities you can get ready rock for a dollar you know so he pretty much in south central la spread crack there as soon as he took la by storm goes over to east st louis you know spreads it over there goes goes up north through bakersfield sacramento up to oakland correct and basically it becomes what famously the 1980s crack epidemic yeah yeah (laughs) so anyways Oh, where do we go from here? Are we going to go into how Gary Webb kind of stumbled onto this? Correct. So Gary Webb had done this article called The Forfeiture Racket and was all about um, police, you know, taking things. Like the, when you do civil forfeitures, basically the police would just go in and they take take your shit. Yep. E- even if you hadn't been charged with a crime. Correct. So you could be sitting uh, in jail awaiting trial and they've seized your car, they've seized your house, and your by the time bank you, accounts, your bank accounts, you know, VCR, yeah, they've seized all that and sold it all, and then you come home and just say, w- w- what happened? Yeah, and you may or may not have been guilty. Yeah, but but this stuff was your stuff was not you, and it's yeah. weird how they did that. Um, oh, man, uh, John Oliver did a really good episode about civil forfeitures. Yeah, because it, it's still going on because that that just shit is just wrong. Yeah. Like. And it's so, another reason why the United States is not going to go broke. <laughs> yeah, because cops can essentially just take whatever they want. And, you know, once you sign and say, okay, well, we've seized all, all these assets and you sign for it. Okay, well, now we're going to drop the charges because they couldn't make those charges stick anyways. Mm-hmm. They just legally stole your shit. Yeah. Yeah. So this woman contacts Gary Webb, uh, the girlfriend of Rafael Cornejo, who was a Nicaraguan and he was awaiting trial on some cocaine trafficking. And she said, uh, you know, he, he is also awaiting trial, hasn't been convicted of anything. They've, you know, seized a bunch of his assets, and I think this would be a good follow-up. Yeah. And so Gary Webb looks into her and looks into uh, Cornejo, and he's like, oh, this guy is, like... Connected. Connected. Like, this this woman who's contacting me is, like, a mafioso, like, mall. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm going to check this out because this doesn't seem like just some... some crackhead when we're like my, my husband he's in jail and you gotta get him out he's, this, they, he didn't even do nothing the police are doing all sorts of wrong and stuff yeah it's important to note too like gary webb at this time like he was kind of like a small time investigative journalist like he, he would you know look into you know I, I believe like he looked like into like the medicare uh like fraud and things like that and he was work and he worked like a few other jobs like in like cincinnati and but he really gets like his uh foothold uh, when he starts working for the San Jose Mercury News, 
And um, like I said, he was doing all these like investigative journalist uh, reports, but shit got real. I mean, they, they, got, they got a Pulitzer Prize too, the San Jose Mercury News. Yeah, and he was behind that. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he was, was one part. of the contributors. Yeah, yeah. So he was no schmuck, yeah. to say the least. Like he was, he was a big deal. Uh, for that newspaper. Although it seems kind of like a small-time paper, though. It's not like, you know, the New York Times, the L.A. Times, the, the Washington Post. And, and we'll, we'll get to those because those are going to come back in the story. Definitely. But, like, it gets presented as, like, a small-time newspaper. But San Jose, very much a large city, and that yeah. is a large publication. But, like, as in the grand scheme of things, it's not a worldwide newspaper. It's very much located to the fourth largest city in California, kind of. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he takes on this article, he investigates it, and he gets really familiar with the world of cocaine trafficking. And also uh, the the state's coming down on Rafael Cornejo and one of their informants is Oscar Blendon. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, how did this like drug trafficker become a, a government informant? And it seems weird because. He's the one who's supplying the drugs to these people, and then he would like flip on those people, and that's mm-hmm. how Rick Ross. That's how he went to jail. That's how he went to jail. And Not once, but twice. Yeah, because Blandone got arrested, and then somehow is out the next day. Yeah, quote, yeah. Quote. He he spent you know he he got uh, sentenced to forty eight months for uh, conspiracy and uh, you know, drug trafficking. He he served like barely half that, like twenty eight months, and then yeah. he's, and then he's back out. So it seems like. He's being protected because no charges stick to this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy seems to be untouchable. And Rick, might as well, like Rick Ross is pretty much, quote unquote, going to jail for the rest of his life. Yeah. Which seems a little odd. Like, okay, here you have, you know, uh, you no, know normally, a foreign... it work, normally it works the other way around. You get the small dealers to try and get the big suppliers. Correct. Here the supplier is rolling on the small dealer. 100%, right? And it just doesn't make any sense, right? Like... Here is this guy, this foreign drug trafficker, getting a lighter sentence, getting different treatment. Oh, yeah, you follow the money. The federal government is actually paying him $160,000 a year. Like, like, how is this happening? Meanwhile, not to say that Rick Ross wasn't doing anything wrong. Oh, no. He, he, they, they called him the Johnny Appleseed of you know the, the crack <laughs> business because he was taking the show on the road and selling this shit everywhere. He said he couldn't sell it fast enough. Correct. He was just getting tons of this shit. Yeah, and Ice Cube has a really good song called My Summer Vacation where he kind of takes on that persona of Ricky Ross. I believe it's on America's Most Wanted, uh, that album, but... Yeah, he, he does like a really good job of uh, you know telling that story of like going from L.A. to East St. Louis to you know New York and all around or whatever, like creating the crack epidemic and whatnot, right? And um, yeah, but anyways, uh, going back to Gary Webb, he saw this. He's just like, huh, that just seems a little auspicious. Well, and then he gets the court documents where Blandone is, you know, admitting. To, to dealing to moving all these drugs and he's giving this he's working with the Contras mm-hmm. like he's saying this and they're like well you know you can't trust a drug dealer it's like well I trust a drug dealer when he says he's talking about dealing drugs I Correct. mean that yeah. that sounds like within his wheelhouse if he said you know he, he was you know he made the best cake I'd like mm, I probably don't believe him on that one <laughs> well maybe I don't know there's a lot of cooking going on here but um, I'm not to say that I would try it but yeah, no, uh, no, hundred percent. Yeah, it and that's goes back to the mentality that we used to have, and by we, I mean you know, as a nation, as a world, that you know, hey, you, you know, uh, 
this is this is a, a, an alleged criminal. This is an this is a criminal. Where you know his word doesn't mean shit. Um, but kudos to Gary Webb. He was just like, well, no, let's follow the path of what he's saying here because there's a like I said, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. How's that Rick Ross? He's getting supplied these drugs by this guy, but this guy's getting a lighter sentence. He's seemingly getting prefer preferable treatment over a citizen of the United States. Well, he was wondering where where's the cocaine coming from? Correct. The, the drug war was all just about. You know, these street-level dealers, it's about the gangs, it's about the Crips and the mm, bloods, bloods and the escalating violence happening. It's like, but where are they getting the cocaine? Where are they getting these weapons from? Mm-hmm. How? What, what? What's fueling all this? Because you guys are, like, you're trying to put out the fire, and you're not asking who's starting the fire. Correct, yeah. Who's putting gas on it? Correct, yeah. And to reference Ice Cube again, uh, in the movie Street Out of Compton, you know, they were asking him about, you know, you know a young Ice Cube about you know that all of that that's going on during that time and he goes hey we're not the ones bringing in these <laughs> these guns from you know like what is it ak that's a that's a soviet gun right like we're yeah not... but, yeah but there's a bunch of different models yeah okay like ev- everyone made their own model like the chinese made their own model like the israelis have another kind of yeah. one so yeah they're yeah, getting... but they're not made in compton right no, that's the they're point not. yeah <laughs> they're coming from outside coming in and to your point about the iran contra that these guns are being funneled into South Central Los Angeles, how you know? And it, Gary Webb follows the uh, the trail of that. And it's important to note too that in 1985, uh, two writers from the Associated Press uh, they actually were investigating this as well, and they were starting to link uh, the dots from this as well. Where it's just like this doesn't make any sense. Here you got a guy, Rick Ross, South Central LA guy, a failed tennis star. How is he getting tons of cocaine into the community? How how are these dealers, how are they able to get foreign-made guns, high-powered rifles and whatnot? Like, how is this possible? Where is this, this coming from? So they kind of set, like, the tone, and then Gary Webb kind of goes full force into, like, oh, why is it that crack cocaine is only prevalent in the African-American communities? This doesn't make any sense. This seems almost concentrated like a concentrated attack on this community. And, and to wit, everyone, well, not everyone, but, you know, uh, a lot of law enforcement and people in government would just kind of shrug it off and say that, well, it's, you know, it's only in the poor communities. And like, really? Because it's not in Appalachia. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, the destruction of the family unit and it's poverty and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, there's single mothers everywhere. Correct. You know, why is it only happening here? And that's because, yeah, it was it was Rick Ross who was linking up with the gangs, mm-hmm. who was supplying them with their shit. Correct. And Rick Ross was getting it from them, and then they were getting kind of like the passage from the CIA. It goes into, you know, what he'll write about later on, that, you know, these Contras, they were trained by the CIA. And uh, one podcast I was listening to, they explained it into detail. Because uh, to me, like... I when I first started my research on this, I was like, yeah, but I mean, there's, there's gorillas all over the world or whatever. Right. It's easy just to throw on the tag, like, Oh, the CIA trained them or whatnot. Right. But these specific Contras that were, were fighting were an actual army assembled by the CIA. And they kind of did it in a way where like they did it, but were very hands off. And they actually even had like an agreement with the attorney general. Like if any of their actions, negatively came back onto the CIA, which would be the federal government, uh, they had an agreement with the attorney general at that time that they would look the other way or wash their hands. 
Yeah. Um, different situation, but not too much. Was the, the CIA also training the Mujahideen? Yep. To fight the the communists in Afghanistan, and again, this seems to be a pattern. <laughs> a pattern. We're willing to fight the communists, and we're going to train people to fight them in the most brutal ways that we know how. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, Whatever happens after that is not not under our control. That's <laughs> yeah, it's not our problem. Yeah, thing. and that's how you get a uh, <laughs> Osama bin Laden and things like that and whatnot, right? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, um, we're kind of like overshooting here, but uh, to kind of go back on the timeline, uh, Gary actually puts together um, uh, uh, an article uh, that he started uh, researching after you know that situation uh, with the uh, forfeiture starts doing research on all of this in July of 1995 and by August of 1996 he has a three-part series called the Dark Alliance um, where in three parts you know he details pretty much what we were talking about where is this cocaine coming from how are the major players who are the major players how is it able to and large quantities come into the United States. Again, we got to remember, too, the era that we're in, the 1980s, the Reagan era. Nancy Reagan had a very famous quote. Just say no. Yeah, the war on drugs, right? Yeah. The war on drugs. How is it that under this administration more drugs are coming in, but you have this war against it, right? Like, it just does not make any sense. The and, irony is just, it, it's too heavy. I can't lift it, you know, with, with two hands. It's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild, right? And so um, Dark Alliance is important for that, but it's also important because it's one of the first articles that is printed on the in, web. In print, but then also, too, on, the, on a new thing called the World Wide Web, a.k.a the internet and that's where it really gains traction correct yeah because if it just stayed you know on the san jose mercury news you know people in san jose might get a hold of it maybe you know somebody you know going up to san jose to visit like relatives might grab it and read it and whatnot but we're talking again to go back in time we're in a world where information didn't set fire unless it was with one of the big national newspapers we're talking la times washington post new york times you know, Unless something it was big. on the NBC Nightly News, correct? Or, you know, yeah, it, it's had a couple, yeah. Like yeah. unless like like the national news had it, you know, your average Joe in you know Kansas wasn't wasn't getting this information, and this was a very detailed article in a relatively small newspaper, and it being on the internet opened it up to a worldwide audience. Now, when this article came out, you know. For the most part, it was lauded for, you know, the research that Gary Webb did, you know, a lot of new information, some follow-up information from that 1985 AP article. It was lauded for that. Um, But then also, too, it really caught fire in the African-American communities because a lot like, you know, like the Rodney King incident, also, you know, fast forward, you know, to like George Floyd, they're they're basically saying the same. they're, They're getting evidence of what they've been saying for years. Like, we told you guys we're not the ones bringing this into the community. Like, how is this coming in? And here you go. Boom. Here is the evidence that you have these Contras in Nicaragua. They need money. They're able to get cocaine for cheap. So they bring it into the U.S. How are they able to get it in the U.S.? Oh, yeah, the CIA and the DEA, they're looking the other way because these Contras are fighting the good fight against communism. And they even have a front, Air America, yeah. <laughs> and they're able to fly, you know, guns and munitions down to Nicaragua, fly coke back up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
good movie, uh, American Made. Yeah. With Tom Cruise about uh, Barry Seal. Yep. Another episode that you're going to have to come on for. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely check that one out. Yeah. Also this one. Check out Kill the Messenger. These are fictionalized movies, so they're going to take some liberties. But, I mean, the core story is true. Correct. Yeah. And I think I read somewhere, too, that, like, Kill the Messenger, like, it didn't take as many artistic liberties. It kind of tried to stay to the story as much as possible. So. Yeah, but Jeremy Renner didn't have that mustache. (laughs) He wouldn't do it. Wouldn't grow one. No? Come on, Hawkeye. Or Hurt Locker. Come on, Hurt Locker. (laughs) You, You can grow a mustache. Yeah. If I can do it, you can do it. Uh, but anyways, uh, when it comes out, and it, again, it takes fire. Like, and I, I guess there was a lot of um, African American, um, you know, talk radio shows uh, that would talk about this. Again, I'm going to reference, you know, the um, the Montel Williams episode where he actually brings in one of the uh, African American radio hosts, where he says, "Dude, like, this is all I can talk about for three hours a day, five days a week, and it's not because I want to push this narrative." my audience that's listening is that's all they want to hear about. You know, they want to hear about, you know, the follow-up to, you know, what Gary Webb wrote in his web series. They want to know more information. Documents were coming out. And that was a big thing too, is that Gary having this on the internet, you could read the actual article on the internet or on print, but you can actually go to the website and click on his sources, click on documents that were coming off of Ollie North's, you know, uh, a desk, you know, his journal entries and, you know, unshredded documents that supported all of this information. Yeah, the court documents from Blandone, from the uh, the Rafael Cornejo, from all, all those. Yeah, these court documents, they're in black and white. Like, Correct. Th- these are official files. They're, they've, they've been vetted. They're true. These people have said this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, under oath, on, on the stand, yeah. in court. Yeah, and it's not like you they said it and then there was no follow-up. You actually follow up with it and you're like, oh, yeah, it does check out. You know, like you said, like with Barry Seal, yeah, he was running guns and cocaine over, you know, international borders and whatnot, right? So this all is true as shit. And basically what happens from here is <sighs> the major newspapers, you alluded to it later, they, the initial attempt for this series per what Gary Webb said was that I was just one investigative journalist working for a relatively small newspaper. The idea was is to present this, to present all the evidence that, hey, the CIA is looking the other way while tons of cocaine is coming into America, infiltrating you know the African-American community and decimating it with, it, with this new thing called crack cocaine. And so let's pick this up. Yeah, so let's pick this up. And the idea was that the bigger newspapers who have more resources, more staff, more abilities to get more you know, reach, more. Yeah, exactly. More reach who have connections to the federal government, who have connections to the CIA, to the DEA. They can get more information out and maybe get, you know, some people fired or maybe some people prosecuted or but there maybe, could just be some accountability. Exactly. Right. Like that was his idea behind it like he goes i'm only one guy i can only do so much but this is a story that you know i truly believed in and i needed you know the rest of (laughs) my world to 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 help me out here you know it's a team effort right but what ends up happening is is that the washington post they conduct an investigation not into the story but into gary himself basically saying that 
All available information did not support the article. Then from there, the New York Times said that all of Gary Webb's information, the evidence was thin. Then the L.A. Times, they really did a number. They got 17 reporters. They hired, They actually dedicated 17 reporters. Imagine, Vincent, this, this is your full-time job, right? You're going to investigate fucking Joe Rogan for eight hours a day, five days a week, pick apart his podcast and everything that he said wrong or did wrong and whatnot, and bur- pretty much for like a few months just just tear apart his article and everything that they did. And they would cite things that um, his article is not credible because he never reached out to the CIA uh, to get their comment. And if he did reach out to them, he never wrote that in. So therefore, his his uh, his story has no basis at all. So basically, it was a concentrated Which is true. job. That, that that is though that is something that you know journalism you do if you know party A says something about party B, you don't just print what party A says. Correct. You do have to go to party B to get you know their side of the story and get their statement. Granted, I, I think the story was just moving really fast, and he wanted to get to it, and he didn't want to give. Uh, the CIA time to come up with a response. He just kind of yeah. wanted to hit him with it because he knew what the response was going to be. They're going to yeah. say, I have no recollection of that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it was going to look null. And I mean, I looked at it too as just kind of like an inconvenient error kind of thing, you know, where it's like, it's it's a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal. If, if Gary... But would, th- that became the focus. The article became the focus rather than what the article was about. Correct. Yeah. Or like... Uh, there was a few grammatical errors, so how can we take this guy seriously if he can't even, you know, say the story right? Well, also the the artwork on write a story <laughs> on the artwork on the web page had like the CIA seal and had like a crack pipe, so then people <laughs> are just like, "Oh, so are you insinuating that the CIA did this on purpose? That they mm-hmm. they they created this crack epidemic so that they could arrest black people?" It's like, well, I'm not saying that. You're making these connections that I didn't say. You're putting words in my mouth. That part right there, yeah, because it gets kind of spun out that. He is insinuating that the CIA is out there in South Central L.A., that they're out there in East St. Louis. They're out there in, you know, New York or whatnot. Their agents are actually selling cocaine and crack, you know, on the streets and themselves. putting it into the inner cities. Like, no, that's not what I said. Yeah. Handing handing Notorious B.I.G., here you go, here's a few Uzis, you know, do what thou wilt with it, you know, kind of thing. And it's not what he was saying. No, the CIA was quite a few steps removed from the actual, like, street-level <laughs> crimes. Correct, yeah. And that was on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, yeah. They, yeah, and they were... Yeah. Yeah, he's notorious for that. Yeah. 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 That just enough space where they, you know, what yeah. you, they're going to outsource the dirt dealing to, yeah. <laughs> to some other parties. They're not going to have any, any part of it because once it gets to those people, they turn their back. And yeah. well, I don't know what's going on. Correct. I don't know what happened after we gave Barry Seal this plane full of, uh, full of assault rifles. I don't know what he did with them. Yeah. That was his own volition. Yeah. yeah. Under his own volition and whatnot. So, from there, what happens is this actually spurns uh, quite a few investigations. Uh, Maxine Waters, um, who is... Cong- Congresswoman from California. Yeah, who her district encompasses South Central Los Angeles. Th- 35th. Yes, as well as Barbara Boxer and Diane Feinstein. And a few podcasts, uh, they threw out Nancy Pelosi's name out there, but I didn't see anything in print. Um, but every, but I mean, she was in the Bay Area, so I figured this is something that's kind of in your wheelhouse. I don't know. Yeah. She she doesn't. Her district, Oakland's not in her district, though. I don't, I don't think. I think it's more like 
full whatever wherever full house that house is with with comet and uncle <laughs> uncle joey <laughs> i think that's more of her district yeah going out, right but um um i but i did see those names on there and you know they they were very much they held um, um public uh i guess you can call it like a town hall meetings and whatnot where citizens were you know asking questions and as well as Maxine Waters, they were asking questions. It was the house intelligence committee. Correct. Yeah. Called and, in some of these people. And actually the head of the CIA came to one of these uh, meetings uh, in Watts. And um, hopefully I can get the sound bite, you know, for this episode, but if not, I apologize. Uh, but it's, it's awesome because this lady, she, she's asking questions to the head of the CIA and she, she's, she, ba- he basically tells her, he, she says, you know, we're going to launch an, launch an investigation, you know, into our people and see if this all checks out. And this lady hits it spot on on the head. How can we trust you to fairly investigate yourself when we already know that you're already going to absolve yourself of any responsibility? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and then we also know this, too, because... In you're 19- you're asking the fox to find out who went to the chicken house. like... <laughs> Wait, hold on. No, no. You don't get to police yourself on this because you are going to look the other way on your, you know, misgivings and your misdoings, and you're you're going to give yourself a pass. Correct. And you're going to say, say if anything did happen, well, I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, and this has precedence as well because when the 1985 article from the Associated Press came out, John Kerry, he actually started his own committee and investigated some of this, kind of came to this same conclusion as Gary Webb and the CIA did the same thing. We don't know how this happened. So there is precedent to this. Yeah, but the story didn't really gain any traction back in the 80s. It wasn't until yeah. later in the 90s after the crack epidemic happened. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. So, like I said, this spurned three investigations, uh, one by the Justice Department, another one, like I said, with the CIA, and then another with the House Committee Report. Uh, there was also a fourth investigation by um, the L.A. Sheriff's uh, Department, uh, and that was due to um, Gary doing follow-up articles because there was a lot of follow-up articles that Gary did um, where you know other information was coming out, like Blandone. Like there was actually a bust in Los Angeles, and again, like if this was anybody else, right, who wasn't connected to the CIA or the federal government. They would have thrown the book at him. Yeah, they would have done life in prison for the amount of cocaine that they found, amount of ammunition and guns, illegal guns and shit that they found. And, you know, the book, like you said, would have been thrown at him. But he pretty much got off, and somehow, some way, he gained permanent resident status after this. Like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? And so he was just like, he was throwing that out there. So the L.A. Sheriff's Department was like, wait a minute, we need to investigate this and see what happened there. Because, again, we agree with you, Gary. This makes no sense at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't have it here. It's, it's the the editor of the um, the San Jose Mercury News who really oh. who really stuck out his neck for for Gary at first, but did kind of have to kind of back down, and they had to change like the artwork on the on the, the website. website, and they kind of had to. They had to do damage control, basically, because they were getting lambasted from everyone, from all the major media sources. Jerome Seppos. Jerome Seppos, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, uh, he had to do damage control. 
And he, when all of those newspapers, the Washington Post, New York Times, L.A. Times, when they would come out with their articles, he would actually respond to their articles defending Gary. Yeah, so I mean, kudos to him for that, but it's one of those things where just the, the more people pile on, the more you just like, ah, fuck, you just got to back down. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, this is just kind of a losing battle, and uh, there was someone who was doing you know one of the original investigations back in the 80s who told Gary, like, you know, you, you could back away from this and you could keep on doing stories and you might win some awards. But if you keep sticking with this, you are going to become persona non grata. They're going to come at you. Yeah. With everything they got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they did. Yeah. And the, it, to me, like the question has to be asked here. Why would, you know, the New York, the Washington Post, New York Times and L.A. Times this this would have been a hot story for them, right? Like this would have sold tons of newspapers. It would have already like you know blowing up, you know, in you know the African American community. Wouldn't the rest of the the country, the rest of the world, want to know about this? And it gets implied by every podcast and you know journalist that you know investigates it that the L.A. Times and all these papers or whatever court the mainstream media, right? You know. If you, know, you will. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you will. The, to sound like a QAnon supporter here. Um, they're in cahoots, you know, with the deep state here. Uh, and I couldn't find any hard, concrete evidence of that. Uh, but what I assume what was going on, why they did that, is, is there's two things, right? One is that I was listening to other journalists talk about this on a few podcasts and a few YouTube things, that if they weren't the first ones to come out with this, they had to squash the story uh, because it made them look bad. You have a staff that's able to employ 17 people to tear apart Gary Webb, but you don't have a staff that's able to look un- into his, his allegations. Yeah, you don't have that kind of thing. So they that's why they stamped him out kind of thing. But then the other thing is, too, is to make that government connection is a lot of those newspapers, right, they have to have their secret sources uh, within, you know, different agencies to get the first scoop on things. Because that's the big thing with, you know, the media is like you got to be the first to have the scoop kind of thing, right? And I'm assuming that they had sources in the CIA that would, you know, feed them stories, you know, here and there. And those sources were saying like, hey, what Gary is saying, you need to squash that out or else we're pulling our partnership with you guys. We're no longer feeding you any more stories from our end. So I'm assuming that's why that happened. It never explicitly gets investigated why they did this. No, but when you see that this is just kind of um, the method and the the modus operandi for uh, media sources when it Mm -hmm. comes to law enforcement and, uh, you know, people working in the government, they pretty much take their word for it. Correct. Whenever any of those people makes a statement about something, whether it's, you know, this is the crime that happened, this is what they did, and this is, you know, the thing that they used. You know, reporters just write it, yes, sir, thank you, and they mm-hmm. just print it. Well, hey, maybe maybe actually check into yeah. that, because what the cops are saying a lot of times doesn't match up with what actually happened. Do you know what that reminds me of? Huh? The first Ninja Turtles movie, where <laughs> April O'Neil's, like, trying to get to the bottom of, like, all these crimes in New York. Yeah. And she's trying to tell, like, the police chief, like, hey, like, there's this 
this uh, ancient Japanese criminal organization called the Foot Clan. And then she's like, no, April, don't don't print that. You know, print what this. It's just low life thugs. Oh, but, th- but then you got the, the police chief calling her boss being like, I told you, get that bitch under fucking control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what that reminds me of. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I just rewatched that movie the other day. It's pretty good. Oh, me too. That's why I made that reference. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that movie holds up so well. The first one does. The first one does. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's classic. The second one, uh, a little too cartoony. Yeah. I, I still ha- It still has a special place in my heart, but it. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. But anyways, um, like you were saying with Jerome Seppos, at first, you know, he would write letters to all of these newspapers saying like, hey, I stand by Gary 100%. We did our research. Yeah, we. I sent that motherfucker. He even, Gary, even after this was, while all this was going on, he was making trips to Central America. He was making trips to Nicaragua uh, to do, you know, follow-up um, articles to get more research and whatnot. Like, because they were going full force with this. Like, hey, if LA Times, you're not going to support us. Like, you know what, we're going to be the lone soldier that, you know, you know, gets the information out there because this became a passion project for Gary and whatnot, right? And Jerome, full at this time, fully had his back. But eventually, what happened was is that I guess the journalistic community started piling on Jerome, and I guess like within newspapers, I'm trying to find my words here is that they could pretty much squeeze him out of the industry, basically telling Jerome, like, if hey, if you don't comply with us or if you don't, you know, separate yourself from Gary or have him squash, like, his research, like, we're going to squash you out of the industry, basically. I didn't know the fucking <laughs> the newspaper industry worked like the mafia, but I guess that's what they were telling him. Um, and then Jerome conducts a f- internal investigation, you know, of Gary's work, and basically tells Gary, like, hey, I'm going to, instead of, you know, letting you print these follow-up articles in our newspaper, I'm going to print, you know, this investigation as well. And um, I guess Seppos wrote that the series did not meet our standards in four areas. It presented only one interpretation of conflicting evidence, and in one case did not include information that contradicted a central assertion on the series. Two... The series' estimate of the money involved was presented as fact instead as an e- instead of an estimate. Three, the series oversimplified how cr- the crack epidemic grew. And then four, the series created impressions that were open to misinterpretation, though imprecise language and graphic through imprecise language and graphics. Basically, what we were talking about with like the image with, on the with newspaper. the cover art, and well, I mean, also that. This was just one aspect, and so it was something that you know people were saying that oh, are you saying they're responsible for all the crack epidemic in all of America? It's like no, no, just this this particular part here in America, in South Central LA, like this is one of the channels that it went through, and it was a major one. Correct. Yes, crack also got you know into Florida and up the the East Coast, you know, through Baltimore and New York City, and that's a different, you know. That's a different topic. Maybe you should investigate that. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, and even too, like the thing about like the graphic or whatever they put in there. Gary had no no creative input on that. That was something that was by the paper or whatnot. But something they just cooked up like crack rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ready graphic, <laughs> like ready rock. But it just photoshopped that shit together. Yeah. Crack pipe CIA. Fuck yeah. But it looks like from reading that right there, it looks like everything that Gary did not say, Gary had no control of 
all the assumptions that were made, like I said earlier, like, oh, the CIA is out there on the street selling, you know, the, the crack or whatnot. Gary never said that or had no control over things like the, the graphic on the website and whatever. But it seems like they turned all this into Gary's fault. They said that, hey, we're no longer going to let you research this topic. It's dead. It's done. Go investigate. You know, you're, uh, you're getting relocated to a different office. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, because Gary would would publicly state in the newspaper like, "Hey, I don't agree with this. Like, this is again presenting that fact. I had no control over the graphic. I didn't make those assertions. I never said this in my article. I was just saying the cocaine is coming from here, from a place that the CIA very much could stop, but they're not stopping it, right? And so he publicly feuded with Sepos in the newspaper, and like you said, they transferred. They gave him two options. You can either go to um, I believe it was San Francisco or Cupertino and you know which is all 140 miles away from where he was living at. Yeah. Basically creating undue hardship. And this is where we get into the eventual suicide of Gary Webb because his life really was torn apart. They went after him. Um you know in such a way that you know, he got divorced from his wife. They did, I guess, this is something that came out in the movie. I didn't, I didn't research if this part actually came out, but about uh, an affair he had had earlier oh, yeah. on in his marriage. Like, and that came out. Like, they were just going after him in any way they could, just trying to ruin his life. Yeah. And so with his, his professional and personal life just kind of crumbling, on December 10th, 2004, Gary was found dead in his Carmichael home, with two gunshot wounds to the head. Correct. And it was ruled as a suicide. And the uh, coroner had to put out, because a, a lot of people were saying that two gunshot, to the wounds doesn't, gunshot wounds to the head doesn't sound like suicide. And that sounds like murder. That sounds like straight up assassination. Like yeah. <laughs> double tap to the head. It's like, Correct. well, well it, it does happen yeah. uh, that someone shows themselves in the head twice. Why does he sound like Mitch McConnell? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Just, I just imagined like a, a Mitch McConnell and the little saggy cheeks. It happens sometimes that people <laughs> shoot themselves in the head twice. It's it's not common. It doesn't always happen, but it's a possibility that we have to we have to you know look look into now. <laughs> you need to be on Saturday Night Live, and you need to play Mitch McConnell. I would love to. <laughs> and then, uh, you see that where, where yeah, where he froze not once but twice. Uh, yeah, yeah. You should not be running the country. I mean, he's got that turtle brain, man. He's a little slow. <laughs> all right, he, he he just started coming out of his shell. It's a little cold. All right, he's an exotherm. He's got to warm himself up. He's got to stick his little head out, stretch his neck out to the sun. I need a little. I need to warm up a little first. <laughs> That's the clip for the the Instagram. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> no, I'm doing it. Um, but, but anyways. But, um, um, I don't want to make this sound, do the whole like Seth Rich thing where it's like, no, he was murdered, even though his family's saying Suicided, yeah. Yeah, because his, his wife even said, you know, he was in a bad place. And, you know, it suicide seems like a lightly a, a likely outcome. You mm-hmm. know, he, he did not sound good. Um, yeah, I guess like he... Um, he sustained a lot of motorcycle accidents previous to his death. A lot of those accidents, quote unquote, seemed intentional, like he was trying to kill himself on his motorcycle. Uh, I guess they ruined his career so much. Like he could, he was getting jobs here and there. I think he worked like for the state assembly and whatnot, just 
I guess, investigating um, racial profiling, you know, from the CHP, which was also a big deal, you know, back Mm -hmm. in the 90s. It's still a big deal. Um, But, like, he was one of the first to investigate that. But, you know, he basically took jobs that were outside of his wheelhouse that he didn't find any enjoyment for. I mean, you got to think, like, you're an investigative journalist for a newspaper. You're you're living your dream. Then you get kind of blackballed from the industry because, you know, they they assign you – 140 miles out that's like what like us like we're like living in bakersfield like and working like in madera or some shit right like, yeah like that's a horrible nine to five kind of thing like you're basically living to work and driving all the time right and you're being assigned jobs that you're, you're not getting fulfilled with you you have this truth that you want to get out but it's being suppressed uh meanwhile your personal life's falling apart you know he goes through a divorce with his wife um, he's has to quit that job because again, <laughs> 140 miles back and forth every day, you know, like he was calling in sick every day. So, you know, a few months later, you know, he has to, you know, quit that job, you know, and he never gets to get back into the mainstream uh, or he never gets to work for another newspaper again. Um, because he's pretty much blackballed from the industry. So he's pretty much going down this downward spiral, uh, and be- essentially for what something that he believed was true and right. and he had a lot of evidence to back up yeah and he loses his house right like because yeah. he can no longer afford you know to pay the mortgage anymore and yeah yeah that this would lead to someone be you know committing suicide you know i don't advocate it you know but you know it's very possible that's what happened and even the coroner you know um rich mcconnell <laughs> mitch mcconnell's <laughs> brother um he even said he goes yeah it doesn't seem likely you know that you know somebody would shoot themselves two times in the head um and it'd be suicide but it is possible 11 percent of all suicides have that same uh situation and i guess like the first shot went through his cheek yeah went through his cheek so it's not like he like went through his cerebral cortex the first time and then he picked the gun up and shot himself again no it went like you said it went through uh and and i mean Again, like all depending upon placement of my, my uh, dad when he was in the service said, you know, people would, you knew someone who like tucked their gun under their chin, but didn't like hit any vital brain stuff. It just kind of like blew off their face. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's one of those like, or he said, you know, another possibility is if you put the gun up to your head and you flinch and the bullet just goes through your mm-hmm. eyes and now you're blind forever. Hesitation marks. Yeah. Yeah. But, but in those instances, like just the concussive force of the gun, granted, uh, I think it was a 38 caliber he had. So Correct. a little bit smaller, but still like the concussive force of the guns, usually enough to knock you out. Like you think you, you did the job when you pulled the trigger only to wake up in the hospital without a face. Yeah. <laughs> Or it looks like the elephant man or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it is very possible. But kind of the theme of this topic is is people see that, oh, he shot himself two times in the head. It was the CIA. They suicided him, you know, that because of all the work he did. And for me, like, I was like, yeah, that's, that's in an echo chamber. That seems possible. But at that point, it was 2004, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the story kind of died down. Yeah, it's t- about ten years after the fact already, right? Other newspapers and media outlets, the internet, they had already picked it up. So it's like it's not like Gary was out there like with, you know, the the London Times, you know, yeah, writing about. Yeah, he still this. wasn't blowing the horn. No one would talk to him. Yeah, no, yeah, he was blackballed from the industry. You had already figuratively killed him. So what would be 
the 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 reason for you know piling on and doing this again you know like it, it doesn't make any sense even for the cia kind of thing but again but but it's hard to rule out i, I mean just on the face of it because when you're dealing with the cia and you're dealing with especially drug dealers i don't know if it could have mm-hmm. even been the cia because they could have just outsourced this out to anybody correct yeah and it could have been any one of those you know drug kingpins finding someone who can just go in there and pop him twice mm-hmm. yeah and um, that's what happened to Barry Seal. Yeah, you know? yeah, and he was. I think even in, he was like in the witness protection program, and they still got to him. Yep. Yep. So I mean, I think it was outside of an, a Salvation Army. I want to say. Uh, I don't. I remember the location, but yeah, he, he got gunned down. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was weird. Like, why, why were you thrift shopping? You know. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, yeah, that there's that conjecture. But again, like I said, that goes into the theme of of this kind of topic where like people were making this conspiracy into a conspiracy theory, you know, yeah. you know, and that that's the truth. And then the conjecture are two different things where it's like, Gary wasn't saying that the CIA was out there on the street slinging cocaine. No, he was saying that they were, they were being negligent and preventing that from happening because they put all their chips into stopping communism in um, South America. Yeah. And I, you know, Back then, I don't think the CIA were thinking about in the 80s how this is going to affect the black community in the 90s. They're not thinking that far ahead. That no. was just, you know, the the result of this chain reaction. Correct. You know? And that's what Gary was 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 showing. Like like, hey, this is a side effect of them looking the other way. Yeah, this is the through line from here to here to here, and that's how we ended up where we are now through these actions, through these choices that were a conscious effort made mm-hmm. by our government. And it spiraled out into something just even worse. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes back to like what you were saying, like with Osama bin Laden, right? Like yeah. we trained him to fight like the Soviets. And what did he end up doing? Using that training against us for 9-11, you know? And like, that's a fact. That's not conspiracy. Uh, no, because we want these people, su- we'll support these people as long as they're fighting our enemies. But as soon as they've outlived their usefulness, we'll just fucking cut them off. Correct. So, you know, that's seems to be just sort of uh, an ongoing theme, yeah. if you will. <laughs> the government. Another thing that I want to point out, too, is, again, like, this is a world, how to how to say this, not casually, but this is a world, too, where I know you said, like, the CIA probably wasn't thinking about how this would affect the black community. Even if they knew that this would affect the black community, I don't think they would care. I'm wearing this shirt, the Godfather shirt right now, because there's a line in the Godfather, which came out like, what, 1972, mm-hmm. where one of the heads of the five families, you know, they're having that that meeting about selling drugs. And um, Vito's like, I, I'm not for this. Like, we're, I'm all for, you know, illegally importing olive oil and shit like that, whatever. But once you get into, like, drugs and shit like that, like, that we're, leads... We're, we're a family business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Colleon Olive Oil Company. Um, but once it gets into drugs, you know, it starts to get dirty. And one of the five family members, uh, he stands up and he says, I, t- I pay my people for years, have paid them more... So they didn't get into this uh, business because it is dirty. Um, but when they started telling me that they can turn a profit, you know, from an investment of one thousand dollars, they can turn it into fifty thousand dollars. Maybe I might make this business more reputable. Don't sell it to kids. Don't take it to schools. But 
let it go to the docks and the blacks. They're animals anyways. Let them ruin their souls or whatever. Like, that's a direct line from The Godfather, right? And that's very much, like, the mindset of, like, that generation, right? I can totally see people, like, within the CIA having that same mindset. Like, Yeah, but I don't think they were thinking about, like, the mandatory minimum sentences. That was just, mm-hmm. again, an unfortunate consequence because, you know— uh, Police were thinking, you know, we need more money for this this war on drugs. We need more. We need more police officers. We need to build more prisons. We got to start, you know, we got to start cracking down on these mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And so they expanded their budgets. They expanded their their reach. You know, they're buying more equipment, and and it just kind of they're looking out for themselves. Correct. And looking how they can spin this situation to work better for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they they didn't create the situation, but they were taking advantage of it. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And and that's everyone in this whole chain. Yeah, and it sucks because <laughs> none of these people, you know, nothing ever happened to them. You know, it's important to note that the Justice Department they released, um, you know, their report in July of nineteen um, ninety eight, saying that gary's claims were exaggerated exaggeration of the actual facts the cia report of course (laughs) they they have the classified version of the report and an unclassified version of the report uh, and they released it in two parts one in uh, january of 98 and the next in october of 98 uh, and said that that there was absolutely no evidence uh, to support any of the claim of the claims by gary and the court documents by the people who said they were running <laughs> drugs for the Contras. Yeah, so, yeah, of course, to go back to what that lady said, of course they're not going to find themselves at fault, right? <laughs> uh, then the House Committee, uh, released in February of 2000, uh, was basically a combination of both of those other reports, saying that um, they didn't find in much evidence, but then they also, too, that the actual evidence that they did find were, exag- quote-unquote, exaggeration of the actual facts, but they kind of, when you read the report, which gets into a lot of legalese, kind of contradicts itself because it did find a lot of fault, which would lead down that, like you said, that through line where you're like, how are these people getting, you know, permanent residence here, getting, you know, work visas? Why are we paying, you know, Blandona Manessis $160,000 a year? You know, like this doesn't make any sense. How are they able to bring in tons, literally tons, of cocaine and? Well, Blendo admitted to bringing in. He said, I think he said four tons. And uh, Cornejo's girlfriend was like, "If that's what he's admitting to, think of how much he actually, actually is." Yeah, yeah. So those reports didn't do anything. Of course, they're not going to find themselves at fault, especially when you got to look at the timing of all these reports. 98 and 2000. Oh, yeah. What are they gearing up for? George Bush Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Whose dad was the head of the CIA <laughs> at the time? Yeah. So, um, oh my God. I feel like we can go on forever, uh, with this, but yeah. But I mean, uh, this is something I was talking to with Keith yesterday when I first told him about this because it seems like a lot of people don't know about mm-hmm. Gary Webb. I didn't know. Yeah. Um, Again, one of those things like everyone kind of knows about Iran Contra, but there's a lot that just kind of got lost in that whole shuffle and that mm-hmm. whole uh, affair. And so when I was telling Keith about, you know, Gary Webb and how he committed suicide, he started asking me about, you know, uh, 
Epstein. And mm-hmm. just like, well, how do you feel about Epstein? How'd he commit suicide? And it's like, ah, yeah, there's shady stuff all over that one too. But also, you know, he was gonna go to jail, and he he had some some bad shit coming down the road for him. Uh, but also, he knew a lot of people's secrets. So that's another one where it's just like. I can see both ways on that because mm-hmm. maybe he did see like there was no way out and he's finally, you know, his actions are finally catching up to him and fuck no, I don't want to go to prison. Yeah. <laughs> that or the people that he does. And yeah, again, like you said, yeah. I don't know all the details of it. So it's one of those things like, I don't know if I want to believe the QAnoners, <laughs> but also too, I don't want to believe again, what we know too, like the, I don't want to believe go- the official government, you know, <laughs> report. Yeah. yeah take course, that as fact. As we've seen right here, yeah. that of course they're going to absolve themselves of any responsibility, but like, yeah, like, like, wasn't he on suicide watch? Wasn't there supposed to be watching him? It's like, yeah, but you know, one welcome. guy was in the bathroom and oh, then the cameras weren't working. It's like, well, that sounds like a lot of coincidences that all just kind of line up. I mean, not to say that coincidences don't happen because mm-hmm. they do, and sometimes things just line up in a way that's just unfortunate. Yeah, and he was also labeled a pedophile, and we know how pedophiles get treated in prison. Yup. So, I mean, yeah, there's that too. He was going to be some guy's skin condom, man. It, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then also, too, if he did, you know, blow the whistle on the people that he knew, the death that he would, or the pain or suffering he would have gotten from there. I mean, after would've... a few weeks in jail, he would probably be ready to roll. Yeah. Yeah, oh, 100%. So, and can you imagine those people's powers, like, inside? Oh, yeah, he would have suffered an even worse death, so. Oh, yeah, no, he would have just got shanked in the neck and got his tongue pulled out mm. through the hole. Or who's that Whitey Bulger? He got, he was, like, 90 or something ridiculously old, and he was in prison, and he turned out to be an FBI informant, and he got the, the sock treatment. And we're not talking about the sock filled with soap, like, sock with, like, D batteries, And he got Mm -hmm. the shit beat out of him, like in prison and shit, for being found out to be an FBI informant. So that's a fucked up way to die as well. Yeah, just bludgeoned to death with batteries. Yeah, I'd rather just hang myself with... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that seems, you know, pretty easy by comparison. Correct, yeah, just slowly go black. (laughs) Yeah, and so, you know, there's, again, a lot that we know, a lot that we don't know, and I don't want to speculate, but I also, again, taking the official statement as... You know, the gospel, I still remain skeptical. But I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to say that, you know, absolutely, totally, 100% he was m- murdered. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rick Ross thinks he was. Yeah. Because he was talking to him for a long time in jail, um, and they, they became friends. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he thinks, no, he was fucking murdered. Mm-hmm. Which is possible. Yeah. You know, which is possible because you got to think too, like, even if he wasn't creating any more commotions, you got to think too, like, there's a grudge there. Yeah. You know, you put us on blast. You put this, and there's one thing I've always said is that the government cares about PR. They always care about the PR. CIA, of course, they're going to care about their PR. And you've permanently put it in the psyche whether intentional or not, that they are the ones responsible for the crack cocaine epidemic. That's always going to be there. And you're the person... To the point where they're talking about it on fucking American Dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's the episode where Stan gets hooked on crack. It's yeah. like, ah, oh, CIA agents aren't supposed to be hooked on crack. We're supposed to be selling to the inner cities. <laughs> See, yeah, to my point, and that's permanently going to be... No, in that's psyche. in the consciousness now of the public forever. Forever. So you got to die. Yeah. So I can totally see that. However, I do think that he did commit suicide, 
but I'm not 100% chips all in on it, you know? So, I mean... You still got to hold that little bit of skepticism. You do, yeah. And we'll never know, probably, unless they invent, like, a a time machine where we can go back in time and, you know, be like a ghost and secretly watch like a fly on the wall. We'll probably never know until Apple invents that technology. And then whoever invents that technology is going to get murdered. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) By the CIA. (laughs) Anyways, that sounds like a good place to, to stop for today, unless you have anything else, man. No, I don't think so. I think we summed it up pretty good. Yeah, that was a great episode, man. Great yeah. topic, man. Go watch Kill the Messenger. Go watch American Made, wh- wherever they are, because they're not on streaming. They're hard to find. I'm sure. Yeah. You can, I'm sure if you can find physical media, you can probably find them in, in like you know, find Walmart. A, yeah, find a DVD in like like a five dollar bundle with like. <laughs> Dude, that's why I still buy. Like, as you can see behind you, that's why I still buy DVDs because I hate that. You know, like where I go to want to watch a movie. Not on Netflix, not on HBO Max, not on Hulu, not on Prime, not on Crackle or Tubi or whatever. So it's like, fuck, I got the DVD. Yeah. Just plop it in. I don't want to buy, you know, I don't want to spend money to download it either because then it's, I don't actually have that. I have access to it. And oh, my internet's down. I can't access all these movies that I bought on fucking uh, Microsoft, you know. Or if you read the fine print, they can revoke the license that you just paid them for. Yeah, you don't own it. Yeah. You own the access to it. Correct. So, all, so not to sound like a boomer here, but like, yeah, that's why I'm 100% still all in on DVDs. I mean, I'm not 100% in them, but I, there, there's a good reason for them to have physical media. You own that shit. You can watch it anytime you want. Sony's not going to come into your house and go, sorry, we're going to take these, <laughs> these Spider-Man DVDs back. <laughs> Particularly Spider-Man 3. Disney bought the rights to Spider-Man. We don't own these now. <laughs> Oh, that would suck. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that that can happen. So, you know, if you can, wherever you can, if mm. you see them, you know, if they're five five bucks, definitely buy. Fuck, I'd I'd go up to ten bucks if I saw one of these DVDs. Oh, really? Yeah, like Walmart. I think I'd buy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth it. I think so. I think that'd be a great double feature. You know, they do a lot of those double feature oh, DVDs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For five ninety nine. yeah. Yeah, you get two DVDs for you, one price. You get Blood Sport and Kickboxer. And for an extra $2, you can get uh, Big Trouble in Little China as well. I actually own that one. That's why I made that reference. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to buy Blood Sport for $10, or I can have both Kickboxer and Blood Sport for five ninety nine. Makes sense to me. That's value right there. That is. Yeah, it's the Walmart way. <laughs> Shout out to Walmart. Uh, but anyways, Vincent, thank you once again for filling in for the Brown Recluse. Thanks for having me on. It was a good talk, as always. Yeah, like I said earlier before we started recording, dude, you're going to have to come in and... Oh, we got to do Barry Seal. We got to do Barry Seal. We should probably do more of a deep dive into the Iran-Contra, if you want. Yeah, those are two topics I'd definitely like to yeah. jump into, get yeah. a little more little more clarity. Yeah, not to make you the crack expert over here, but... Please don't label me as the crack expert. <laughs> we'll, we'll squeeze in some uh, some other uh, crazy topics in between, but... If you want to know about crack cocaine, you go to the expert, <laughs> Mr. Vincent Cocaine Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> cocaine Cowboy Cruz. <laughs> that should be your Halloween costume, dude. Like you know how Beetlejuice like is like doing like that cowboy get up or whatever. Uh-huh. You should do that. Like you can just be like, I'm a cocaine cowboy. Just have a white streak across my <laughs> my mustache. <laughs> Perfect. Just get some chalk or whatever. It fit. Done. The costume pays for itself right there. You win all the costume contests. <laughs> okay. What are you? I'm a cocaine cowboy. First prize. <laughs> but anyways, guys, uh, if you have anything to add to this topic or 
you have any ideas for your Halloween costume, guys, uh, hit us up on all the social medias at Art and Jacob Do America, except for Twitter. We are at Art. It's not Twitter anymore. It's X. X. Yeah, like DMX, Exhibit, RBX. X going to give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Uh, hit us up on X. God damn, that doesn't have the same ring no, to it. No, it doesn't. It sounds really weird. I feel like Elon Musk just likes putting X on things. Like, yeah. what's our space company going to be called? How about Space X? X. <laughs> Twitter X? No, no, drop the Twitter. It's just X. Oh, man, I'm surprised Tesla hasn't been, like, changed yet. It'll be Tesla X someday. Oh, okay. Yeah, but anyways, get us on X. X. It sounds like, uh, what's his name, Grandpa Simpson? <laughs> He's like, I had sex. <laughs> if you want to have sex with us, get us get up, uh, get up with us on X at Art and Jacob Duet 1 because goddamn, son, that's just sometimes. That's just how a steak is done. Yes. Fuck all the haters. I love me some A1. I don't need it all the time, but sometimes it's just mm, got to have it or whatever, right? Anyways, guys, if you want to support this podcast, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to the Patreon over at patreon.com slash America, where every single week we put together a bonus episode for your listening pleasures, and nine times out of ten, those bonus episodes are better than actual episodes. That Today is no free. exception. Today is actually no exception. So we have a very lengthy, beautiful conversation. We get into your life story of going to film school and whatnot. Um, yeah, you can just fast forward through that part. No, <laughs> I think it's interesting. You, you you can just jump right to the dog shitting in my car. Where <laughs> <laughs> he fucking MacGyver's dog shit out of his fucking car. Uh, Always carry a knife. Yeah, <laughs> a shit knife. <laughs> in case your dog or your child shits in your backseat. You just need to cut that upholstery out. Yeah. God damn, son. I'm still, I'm still fucking mad at you about that. I could have shampooed that out for you. But anyways. Yeah. Lost cause, man. Lost cause. Support us on the Patreon. Uh, if you want to support us in any other way, guys, hit us up on the website, com. Follow the merch links where we currently have four designs up there uh, for your purchasing pleasure. And it's not so much to help us financially as we probably make 25 cents, 30 cents. We're not Rick Ross of the fucking merchandise uh, uh, industry, but it does go a long way in helping uh, promote this podcast. So if you're in Nicaragua or if you're in South Central LA, if you're trying to do the, the Cocaine Cowboy tour, you have an Art and Jacob Do American t-shirt on and help. Hey, Art and Jacob! <laughs> hey! It helps uh, promote this podcast because you are a walking billboard, if you will. Uh, if you want to hear other great podcasts, guys, I highly recommend hanging on over to podbelly.com, uh, where we are official members of the Podbelly Network, uh, where you can check out other great podcasts, such as Sofa King. And there you go. That sticker is on there. As well as, Vincent, you have a podcast on the Podbelly Network as well, correct? Uh, yeah. Season one of... Uh Path of Legends is up on there. Season two, I swear, is coming at some point. <laughs> I heard it's all recorded and just ready to go, but we're just waiting on like like ninety percent of the the voices are recorded. We still we still need one more, uh, but I mean, can can Rich McConnell make an appearance? Oh, maybe maybe he can <laughs> he can come on and, and do some voices and talk about the rich fantasy of this land and. Uh, And how we're going to reunite our characters again. <laughs> but right now it's on pause because uh, Rich McConnell's... Uh... Yeah, we couldn't get him. Yeah, okay. He's, he's ri- yeah, Rich McConnell's really uh, he's really busy for, for, uh, for a turtle man. <laughs> for a 90-year-old turtle man? For a 90-year-old turtle man. He's, yeah. uh, he's, he's hard to get. And he's still answering questions about uh, Gary Webb's death. So. Very slowly. Yeah, very, very slowly. Uh, so check him out. Check out the Pod Billion Network. 
But with that said, Vincent, once again, thank you for coming on. Of course. I love you with all my heart and soul. May God bless your soul from here now into eternity. But with that said, goodbye and good night.